0: Bible study. For those of you who have seen us before, uh, either attended our congregation in the past or have watched our online sermons and Bible studies, uh, we typically do uh, book studies or on, on occasion a topical study. But the next few weeks we'll be taking uh, a look at various questions Uh, that people have about the scriptures. Um, I would encourage you, uh, if you have some questions on the scriptures, to uh, get them to me. Uh, For those who are in our congregation, that will be fairly easy. Uh, For those who uh, are just watching this online, uh, I'll try to get information to you next week on how you too can ask questions uh, that you have about the scriptures, and hopefully we will uh, answer those uh, for you. Uh, Tonight we're going to deal with uh, two questions and um, the first question uh, I think uh, will answer not only the question but may answer some other questions you have that are kind of around the topic. And so the question is why did God hand down laws to his people that he knew he would never, that they would never be able to keep? So it's well, why did God give us these laws? Why did God give the Jews the laws, his people, and yet know that they would never be able to keep them? Um, generally, when we think about the law, we kind of think about the moral laws. You know, uh, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. So We kind of think of those moral laws. But the scriptures, the the law was even more expansive than that. Not only were there moral laws, there were religious laws and ceremonial laws and laws related to diet, laws related to clothing, whether you are clean or unclean. And there's a vast number of different laws. So to give you an example of one law that we usually don't think much about is that it was against the law, to use two different types of fabrics fabrics when you dress. So uh, in our day and age, uh, polyester would definitely uh, be forbidden. Uh, but God gave those types of laws because he wanted his people to learn certain things uh, that we'll discuss, uh, but also in a more broad sense to show his people... How holy he is and how, in essence, unholy, unseparated we are. And he wanted his people to become holy, to become separated. As the New Testament talks about, that we would be a peculiar people, different from the world. And so that's why there were certain dietary and other laws that set his people uh, separate and apart. Well, when we usually think about the law, again, we think about the moral laws And not only was it difficult for his people to follow them, uh, Jesus makes it even more difficult when he taught that we think, well, thou shalt not murder. We think, well, I haven't killed anybody, therefore I have violated that. And then Jesus says, but if you say you fool, you are guilty of murder. Or if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you have committed adultery. So when you put Jesus' interpretation on the law on top of what we already know, we see how as a question says, how is it that we can't fulfill those laws? So why would God uh, give us those laws to His people? And so the answer to that we find in the Scriptures. And so I'm going to start with uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 15. And it says this, Brethren, if I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant or a man's will, yet when it has been ratified, there's been a death. No one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Now, basically, Paul is discussing that Abraham was given a promise. Abraham believed God, and that was reckoned, that was considered to him to be righteousness. And the plan was that we were to respond to God in faith. That was always the plan. Unfortunately, there are those who teach or kind of uh, interpret that God made Adam and Eve, uh, they sin. So he had to come up with a new plan, and then uh, there was Abraham, and then his people continued to be worse off, so he then created the law, and then that didn't work out, and so then he sent Jesus, and there's always, well, God was making new plans. The plan before God ever said, let there be light, was that Jesus would come to the world and redeem his people. So God wasn't coming up with new plans. God's original plan started even before beginnings of the world. And so Abraham is saying God's plan was that we were to come to him in faith. But he's going to continue on to explain, so he says in verse uh, 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels or messengers by the agency of a mediator until... The seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. We're saying the law came for this reason is because of transgressions. As man continued to sin, the law was there to provide us with guardrails to make sure that we didn't go too far out of those guardrails And yet, the situation is, man was never able to fully stay within the guardrails. And so the plan was that God was going to send Jesus, but the law was given for that. And so he goes on and says this, Is a law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. Paul's saying, if the law could ever give us life, if the reason for the law was there, so that we might become uh, no longer dead to our sins, but alive in Him, then the law would have been sufficient. That would have been the reason for the law. But that's not the reason, because, again, the promise was there. And so it says, but the Scriptures... Has shut up. Everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. So in essence, it's saying when the law was here in the scripture, in essence, what the scripture says is that you can't deny that you're a sinner because look at all the various laws and you haven't been able to perform. It makes it obvious that you are a sinner. And he says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So the reason for the law was not to justify us. The reason for the law was not to get us to perform under the law but the purpose of the law was to tell us that we're sinners so an example of this we can take in our lives we have this tendency to rebel when we're told not to do something the first thought we have is how can i get away with it even when we do it to ourselves so an example i I use frequently is I'm not a big um enjoyer of ice cream. I like it. It's it rather have other desserts. But when I make a decision, I'm not going to eat ice cream. I tend to then think about ice cream. It becomes more appealing to me when I'm in the grocery store and I think about it because I have told myself I'm not supposed to have ice cream. It just shows us that we have this tendency when given rules and regulations, that we want to break those rules and regulations. No one has to teach a child how to lie. They tend to want to avoid trouble, so they will give any other excuse to avoid it. And so the law is there to tell us, thou shalt not bear false witness, so that we might see, oh, that's wrong, and therefore I should not do it. It tells us, Again, it's teaching us that we have a need for a Savior because the law only tells us that we can't keep it. But now that faith has come we are no longer under a tutor for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And see here is the problem is that We interpret the law even when we understand that Christ has forgiven our sins and that we're not under the law. We tend to want to keep under the law and think, well, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. And things that aren't in the Bible, uh, people will say you should or shouldn't do uh, because they think uh, that's what Christians should or shouldn't do. And so we're always trying to make all these rules and regulations. And the point was to teach us that we needed a Savior. Having learned that lesson, we don't need to go back to the law to learn that we need a teacher. The purpose of the law was to tutor us. But everybody seemed to want to go back to school when we should have graduated and say, I no, ling- no longer need to learn that I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior because I've come to Him in faith. So it says... For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So again, we're Abraham's heirs according to the promise. We're not Abraham's heirs according to the law it taught us and so God made the law and gave it to his people so that we might learn just how unclean we are just how unholy we are just how much we need a savior and so it's there simply to teach us and one last uh, verse related to this is uh, found in Romans chapter 2, verse uh, 20 says this, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we come to the law not to be justified by the law, because we learn very quickly that no matter how much we're able to try to keep some parts of the law, we fail miserably. The law is there, again, to show us not that we can keep it, but that we'll never be justified by it, and we need to turn in faith to Christ. And so I hope uh, that by this you'll gain some understanding that God isn't there to make it difficult for you because he's made all these rules and regulations that you'll never be able to, to conquer He says, I made all these rules and regulations so that you might know you'll never be able to conquer it, and therefore you need to come to me in faith, and you can be justified not by works of the law but through faith. All right, um, I hope that's helpful, and if you have any other questions related to that, be happy to try to expand upon it. The second question we have this evening is, um, what exactly does it mean when the Bible says God and Jesus have authority, we see frequently in the scriptures about having whether God or Jesus has authority. So let me talk first about the, the meaning of authority. Now, if you look at uh, the uh, dictionary version of it, they'll say uh, that it's that it means right or power. That's not quite fully the biblical view of it, because the problem is it's not really giving you a full, accurate picture. Give an example. Under the United States Constitution as a uh, United States citizen, it says that I have the right to free speech, that I can speak whatever I choose to speak whenever I choose to speak it. However, a judge may, for some reason, Uh, do a gag order and prohibit me from speaking on certain topics. So I may have a right, but I may not be able to exercise that right. Or maybe I want to say something and somebody restrains me by taping my mouth or saying, if you say this, then these other consequences will happen. So simply having a right doesn't mean that you might be able to exercise it. The other part of it is power. Well, again, power is partially, but again, the problem with power is that I may come up to a a person who is smaller and less strong than me, and I could take their money from them because I have the power to do it and they don't have enough power to prevent me. But that doesn't make it right. It just means that I can force myself upon you because I have more strength than you do. And so I think the biblical term for authority is to combine those words and say rightful power. That what God does in exercising authority is right and he has the power to do it. So he doesn't do something on a whim. He doesn't do something because he can do it. What he does, he does so because it's right and because he has the power. So it's I think in the biblical context, it's when you see authority, you might think rightful power. Now, there's a number of places where the scriptures talk about authority. And I'm going to talk primarily about um, Jesus' authority, although I will uh, have one citing where uh, God does have the authority. And so we won't deal on them fully. I just want to bring a number of them up so that if you have a pencil and paper, you might want to jot them down and and study them more fully later. Uh, But for instance, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, it says this And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You see, when Jesus taught, he had authority. Well, again, that rightful power, so to kind of explain that uh if you've been to any kind of um English literature class, whether it's in high school or college, uh you'll study various authors that that the teacher professors thinks that you ought to study to give you a good liberal arts education, and they will tell you what um a author means and what the significance is of that. Story or novel. Uh, I remember in high school, uh, my um, English teacher was incredibly um, fond, as even to uh, she just loved uh, the novel uh, *Moby Dick*. Just thought it was the greatest work ever. Um, and I remember arguing with her because she talked about that uh, that *Moby Dick* was greater. Then Herman Melville, who wrote it. So my question to her was, well, does that mean that Herman Melville didn't write it? She was, no, no, he wrote it. It was just better than him, and it was just kind of confused me because, well, he least had one good period of time when he when he wrote that book. And I remember again uh, in an English class where the teacher was talking about Hamlet and his character flaws and. And I thought Hamlet's character flaws were different. Um, mentioned that and she told me I was wrong. Then told us to to write a lengthy, uh, write a paper on it. And first time in my life, I was just committed to writing a paper because how dare the teacher tell me I was wrong. Um, and so um, she still didn't agree with me after the paper. Won't give you more details than that. But again, People were saying, well, this is what I think that person was talking about, or these are the characteristics. And, you know, I had a different view. So when it came to Jesus, since Jesus was the author of the scriptures, he didn't have to say, well, this is what I think it means. A lot of times, um, good pastors, at least, when they're unsure of the precise meaning they will say, well, it could be this, that, or something else, and give you the kind of outline of what the possible variations are. But then we'll say, well, this is what I think it means. The problem is, this is what I think it means. Jesus never had to say, this is what I think it means, because Jesus was the author of the scriptures. So he had the authority, the rightful power to tell you what the scriptures meant. So when he said things like, I say to you, you've heard it's taught, Thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, that you know, Jesus had the authority to give that interpretation because he was the author of Thou Shalt Not Murder. And so when he taught the people were amazed because they weren't saying, Well this, this um Learned person said this, and that learned person said that. And this is what I think. Jesus taught as one who knew because Jesus knew. The second thing uh, that we see is in Matthew 9, verse 6. It says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, this is the setting where Jesus was going to heal someone um, who was a paralytic. And there was this discussion. and He told the man that his sins were forgiven. And they were thinking that was blasphemy because only God could forgive sins. He said, so that you might know that I have the authority to forgive sins. He tells the paralytic to rise up and walk. And so Jesus not only has the authority to teach the scriptures, he has authority to forgive sins. And so one of the things that we should understand with that is, we go to the person who has the authority to forgive sins. All too often in our culture, we seek forgiveness from the people who didn't commit the sin, or we try to forgive people, who did not wrong us. Jesus said, because I'm God, because sin is a violation against me, I have the authority to forgive sins. And then uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, so you can see every few chapters, uh, God is, and Jesus is talking about his authority. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, and Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So here we see not only that Jesus had this authority and that he would cast out demons and that he would heal various kinds of diseases and sickness. In this particular instance, he gave that authority to the 12 disciples to do the very same thing. And they went and did and they... Came back with glowing reports of all the things that happened. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, there was a a problem uh, with with one who uh, the disciples had a difficulty uh, casting out a demon. But again, there was that situation where, because of God's authority given to them, they were able to do things far and above that they were able to do because He gave them authority over those things. And so obviously, if Jesus gave the authority to the 12 to do those things, then he had to have the authority in order to give it to them. Uh, the next I want you to, to take a look at is, is one that I that I want you to, um, well, well, one more and then I'll that one. It's in Luke chapter 12. Verse 5. It says this. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid about all these other circumstances. But if you want to fear something, then fear God, the father, because God, the father has the authority to send you to hell. So we should fear him. So if God has that authority, then God can exercise that authority. He has the rightful power to do so. And so we need to take God seriously because he has that rightful authority. Now, the one that I want to not talk about, we find in John. And this is important because of what people will argue about Jesus usually those people who don't know him. You'll hear people say things like, well, Jesus was this itinerant rabbi doing good, being a good teacher, and his popularity kind of got to the point where uh, the religious religious leaders and uh, the Romans didn't like it, so they Uh, tried him, convicted him, uh, put him on the cross, and took his life. And so somehow Jesus was the victim of these events beyond his control. That is not the teaching of the scriptures. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, it says this, For this reason the Father loves me Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So Jesus didn't become subject to history, grinding him at the will. Jesus came having been told by the Father that he had the authority to lay it down, which means he had the authority not to lay it down. And then once laying it down, he had the authority to pick it back up again. So Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, not because it was unavoidable, but because he chose to do so, that he had the rightful power to lay down his life And he had the rightful power to pick it up again. And that is the essence, if you will, of Christianity, that Jesus came and died for us and that he rose again on the third day. So, again, it's that situation where it was predetermined by God what the plan of salvation was and that God, through Jesus, gave him the authority to give down his life and to pick it up again. So Jesus had that authority. And so I want you, when people tell you that somehow uh, the Jews killed him or that the Romans killed him or whatever, nobody killed him. He laid down his life for you and me. And he, because of the authority the Father gave him, had the authority to rise again on the third day. Now, Romans chapter 13 tells us this. We've got a couple more scriptures and we'll be done. Uh, Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So all authority has been given that has any authority is because God has authority and He has used his authority, to grant authority to others. And so we may not like uh, certain governing authorities, but as it says, is that those exist, hopefully for our benefit, but because God has determined it. Uh, Jude uh, verses 24 and 25, and I picked this uh, because our ladies um, had a Bible study recently on Jude. Jude. And uh, so I just thought it would be fun to uh, bring this up again. And so on verses 24 and 25 of Jude, it says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and from now on and forever. Amen. That's an acknowledgement of the fact that God does have glory, that God does have majesty, that God does have dominion, and that He does have authority. And there are times we should, just as the Lord taught us to pray, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. We should remind ourselves, as it is at the closing of Jude that it is God who has the glory and majesty and dominion and authority, not only in times past, not only in the present time, but for all time. And so when we're unsure who's in control and what God is doing, remember that God has authority, always had, always will. And the last one that I want to mention we find in Matthew chapter twenty eight one that uh, evangelists love to read and uh, it's, a, it's a it's a good scripture um but we usually jump ahead and it says in verse sixteen but when eleven the disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and up and spoke to them, saying, All authority. All authority. One more time. All authority has been given to me. He doesn't say Most authority. He doesn't say a lot of authority. He doesn't say the authority that works well in other situations. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, there is no place you can go that Jesus is not in charge. He has authority. He has the rightful power in heaven and on earth. And based on that, he then says, go therefore and make disciples. Now notice when he sent the 12 out, he gave them authority to do certain things, and they were praising and rejoicing him that they were able to do those things. Here he doesn't say, well, I'm going to give you this authority, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. He says, I have all authority. And since he has all authority, then we are to do what he says. What is it that he says? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. So as we're going, a lot of times we think, well, go means that I need to become a missionary, or I mean to go someplace and become uh, this evangelist. The go, therefore, means as you're going, as you're living your life, as you're proceeding Uh, Going to work and going to the grocery store or whatever that you might be. says, as you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. I heard someone say that if you want to be a missionary, here's an inexpensive way to do it. Instead of raising money to go halfway around the world, go next door and knock on your neighbor's door. You don't need to raise any money. You don't need professional degrees. You just need to know the love of Jesus and following what he says. So he says, we are to go and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And then we are to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we go Because Jesus has authority to send us. We go because Jesus never leaves us. We go because he told us what our marching orders are. This is usually called the Great Commission. I don't like that because I don't see anywhere that God gave me any of his authority. He just gave me marching orders. It would be the same thing as if the Commanding officer in a battle said, Go take that mountain. He didn't commission me. He told me, Go take that mountain. Jesus said, Go therefore, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. And after you make the disciples, we're to baptize them and to teach them not just some of the things Jesus taught, but all of the things Jesus taught, which means we need to know all the things. Jesus taught. And since he has all authority, not just the ones I listed here, not just the ones specifically mentioned, but since he has all authority, that rightful power to tell us what to do, because after all, when we became believers, we said that Jesus is our Lord, our boss. And once we say he's our boss, then we do what he tells us to do. This it's what he told us to do because he has authority. So I hope these two uh, answers helped you to understand that God didn't make a bunch of rules and regulations to frustrate us, but to teach us that his love is there, his grace is there, his mercy is there, and that he has the authority to teach, heal, and to send. I hope that's been helpful, and we look forward to talking to you later. God bless. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we no longer have to worry about the law, because it did what it was supposed to do, teach us that we needed Jesus. And every day of our lives, we are reminded how much we need him. So we thank you that we are not justified by it, that we are not held accountable to it, but that we have been forgiven, and that we understand that it is by our faith that justifies us, just as it did Abraham. And we thank you that in this crazy world where we see power exercised corruptly and rights taken away, that you have authority in all things. May we rely on that trust in it and understand that all authority is given to you. We praise you for that because we can trust you in that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.